Hello and welcome to Sacred Thing, the podcast. My name is Holly Featherstone and I'll be hosting alongside my partner in crime, Barney Page. We founded Sacred Thing in the first part of this year. We basically collaborate with artists to create limited edition sculptures. Our mission is to give artists an opportunity to create new work, share their art to encourage new audiences, and use the edition format to make affordable sculptures for art lovers to collect. We've started this podcast as an accessibility initiative and thought it was good timing as we're in the midst of lockdown 2.0. And some of you may be looking for a bit more content and entertainment. In each episode, we're going to be chatting to the artists we work with so you can hear more from the masterminds behind the wonderful sculptures we're going to be bringing to you. I'm going to be encouraging my non-art world friends to listen to this podcast. I think during the pandemic, a lot of us have become much better at things like mindfulness and meditation, getting in touch with nature, and have been actively encouraged to engage with these things, which is something before you might have thought, "Mm, not for me, thanks, isn't tree-hugging for weirdos? Well, it's the same with art. Art isn't just for weirdos, you know. It's for everyone. Engaging with art lets you become a voyeur, watching the artists attempt to unpick a tiny bit of this mad world, and you, in turn, get to have that piece unpicked too. I see art as trying to make sense of stuff, which is obviously a never-ending task, which is why we keep making it. Artists often tackle difficult subjects, but it can also be a bit of escapism. Like a novel, if you engage in the narrative of an artwork, during that time you stop thinking about fucking Covid for one sec, and you've been focused on the concept of, say, growing massive potatoes. I use that example as a segue into introducing our guest today, Amelia Bergmark, who made a big and beautiful cast copy of a winning potato for our inaugural edition, titled Potato the Great. This sculpture edition was accompanied by a film called Potato the Greatest, which delves into the character behind the artwork. We're going to be chatting to Amelia today about these works, her process, accessibility to the arts, and finding wonder in the mundane. So join us, it's lockdown, you've got nothing better to do. Hey Barney. Hey Holly. And I'm very happy to be welcoming Amelia Bergmark to our conversation. Hi Amelia. Hello, nice to be here. Yeah, really happy to be talking to you, not only because we're mates, but because it's just such a treat to kind of dedicate some time to learning more about your artwork and why you make it. Well, thank you for wanting to listen to uh, my ramblings and scramblings. Always. Okay, so let's paint a picture for our audience. So, Amelia, where are you right now? I am uh, right now in Denmark. I'm actually sitting in a in a meeting room because I have my studio in the basement, but uh, that's there's a lot of reverb there. So now I'm in a very conference-ish uh, meeting room that's called 3.2. Fabulous. So me and Barney are in uh, separate parts of the English countryside. Yes, whereabouts? I'm in Northamptonshire. Where are you, Barney? Barney. I'm in Gloucestershire. Yeah, and we're we're in lockdown 2.0. So, Amelia, you're not in lockdown right now, are you? No, Denmark is the, this time around. Denmark is having kind of doing everything they can to avoid lockdown. So now it's just uh, masks and maximum ten people meeting, but things are still open and stuff. Yeah, and they're killing all the mink. And all the mink are dead. Uh, may they rest in peace. R.I.P. Yeah. Mink. 
Oh. I thought so with them. Yeah. So let's um, hit you with our first question then, really, Amelia. So um, something I know about your work is that you take source material from, like, the narrative of the everyday. And um, mm-hmm. it's such a broad interest base. So what does it take for a subject matter or an issue to grab your attention and kind of, like, be worthy of your observation to start forming an idea for work? Um. I guess it's usually kind of some sort of uh, leaps of association. There are like some some subject matter that is uh, constant that I'm always interested in trying to deepen my understanding for, such as how how uh, working conditions. Uh, are politicized and uh, becoming more and more precarious, um, how uh, work and leisure is being like muddled, also how we as human uh, kind of put ourselves uh, above other species, um, and also how objects can tell a story. So there are those kind of like themes that are always underlying, but then a thing like a potato, I guess that's more um, that it, uh, it can be like captivating images where I can feel that there's a story underneath it. And I think that's how the, the interest for uh, giant vegetables came across, just like this experience of seeing a pe- a person holding a, a head of cabbage and then the head of cabbage looked exactly like a head of cabbage but giant and there was this like experience of oh something is happening with my reality here so it's often like um, these moments when I get an outside perspective of how weird the ordinary things actually are that's that's when I kind of uh, can grab on to a topic. Yeah, and then I kind of archive it, maybe like mentally or physically on my computer or on my in my room. And then, um, you know, and then it can pop up when I need it as a device, you know? Because I always see my works as having a main character or several main characters. And often, like at the big, at the start of a process, I I kind of open my mind to to find this what who's the main character of this piece, and that's when I can go through all these like saved images and sort of like weird, messy organization of bits and pieces that are interesting, and maybe like find that that picture and be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So for you, the potato really must have been like striking gold because from the the research that I've done into it, it just seems like there's so much, so many stories around the potato. Um, And this is what we've discussed in the past is about how the potato has got this crazy history that is so entwined with sort of modern human history as well. So you really must have been excited to discover that. Yeah, but... Yeah, and that is amazing. But that's also the reality of like 
finding things interested and keeping an open and interested mind that actually a lot of really mundane things have some amazing stories in them. And then the potato is an example of something that uh, just has been around everywhere and have had such a meaning. It's, it's been involved with humans for millennia, so it makes sense that there would be all of these stories yeah. for you to, to work with. Mm. But that's what's so amazing about the mind of an artist and something that I just keeps bringing me back to art and bringing me back to being interested in what artists are doing is that they pick up on stuff like continuing with the idea of the potato as an example like we're just so used to having them in our lives we eat them almost every day and it seems like a boring thing you know you might have like your mum's friend might grow them in an allotment you think oh how nice she gets fresh air but it's the fact that an artist goes yeah but there's got to be more to this and that's what's so nice to be able to follow an artist's narrative mm. for that reason because it expands my impression of things because I wouldn't have gone to the effort to research mm. it without it being put on a plate for me. <laughs> but I think you're right, Holly. It's, it's really like quite a luxury to uh, be able to take the time to spend, you know, months uh, thinking about potatoes. Like... Um, there is something really uh, luxurious in being able to take your time and find those uh, the things that are wondrous about uh, something that seems very unwondrous, such as a potato. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and maybe that come the artistic process kind of allows you to to stay in that for longer, for long enough to kind of get a perspective on the potato. Yeah, and find something worth telling everyone else about, which is, is what's so nice about your work. It's the humour that comes across. The, just the fact that you've made an artwork about a potato, to, to a lot of people that don't follow art might be like, what? That sculpture is a massive potato. Like It makes you giggle just saying it, doesn't it? And I think a lot of mm. your work has humour in it. So why do you find humor such a useful tool well it can be challenging you know when when I'm meeting my parents-in-law for the first time and <laughs> I try to show them that I'm a serious person and I'm a <laughs> successful artist and then they ask me what I'm working on right now and I tell them that I've just made a sculpture that's a, a massive potato <laughs> yeah Exactly. Um, exactly. I'm smiling. So and much. and sometimes I'm I'm really, you know, like sometimes I dream about being a slightly more serious artist. Sure. Yeah. But um, as a matter of fact, I think it is because a lot of the topics that I'm genuinely interested in, because they are serious, very serious, actually. Um, how humans are exploiting other species and uh, the earth or each other, how humans like take uh, ownership over everything. Mm. Um, these are serious topics, yeah. but in order to sort of um, raise some empathy and interest, for them, 
I find uh, humor like an interesting entrance. It's like, a, I always feel like an artwork needs to have an entrance and it's like a little door and that's where the, where the viewer can kind of come in to the artwork and that door it can be a lot of things it can be like that it's beautiful or that it's ugly or that it looks like it took a long time to make or that it has an interesting topic or it can be humor and um yeah so so for me humor it's it's one of the tools that i can use to allow people entrance to the work yeah i see so it kind of captures them and then you yeah. you you look further and you yeah. investigate it more at least i kept you from just walking by you know yeah the kind of triggering of an emotional response even if it's the a laughing response it's still a, an emotional emotional response that connects mm. you and immediately into it mm. but also the potato yeah like you say it is a super serious subject and there's uh in some of the reading that I did, uh, people like uh, Friedrich Engels, he, he said that thanks to the potato, we had the Industrial Revolution. If it wasn't for the potato, everyone would still be working in the fields. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so human progress has been accelerated by this. And um, someone even said that globalization wouldn't have happened without the potato. Mm. So in some ways, yeah, we've got the potato, we've got to thank it for a lot of things, but then also, mm. I mean, are we grateful for globalization? Who knows? But um, it's uh, yeah, in, important questions to be asked that the potato does, that your that your sculpture and video do ask. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And paradoxically enough, it was through the colonization of uh, South America that the potato even came to um, the colonizing countries. So it was really like it started with the start of globalization and now we're here. So talk more about George Edward II. George Edward II. Who is the potato protagonist of your film, Potato the Greatest. And what kind of story he tries to tell the viewer through the film? When I'm making an artwork, it's often somewhere in the start is the question of who's the main character of this work? who's our protagonist. And here we have the potato protagonist, uh, George Edward II. And he's got his name, George Edward II, partly from um, the man who invented chips, who was called George, uh, and then Edward I, who was the king that got dedicated the King Edward potato. So he's got those, those are his paternal ancestors in his names, like the man who invented fries and the king that gave King Edward, the King Edward potato its name. And our protagonist here is a, a giant potato, which came second in the uh, Harrogate giant vegetable competition of 2019. He suffers a, a case of a megalomania and uh, he's got this sort of a constant need for confirmation that he is great and that he is better than everyone else actually. 
um, which we uh, maybe recognize from certain like world leaders uh, that appear in the press a lot. I think that's how that kind of uh, characteristic came into the story. Mm. Um, and this, uh, this megalomania have, of course, been made even worse uh, by the fact that he was raised to be a winner his whole upbringing. He was uh, grown by Joe Atherton, who is a amateur potato grower and uh, who specializes in giant vegetables. And the sole purpose of his existence was to become a winner, to win the giant vegetable competition of 2019. And then he didn't. No, he didn't win. He didn't win. He came second. Which is why he's now trying to, with every mean possible, uplift the reputation of his family, the potato family. And then in the video piece, he tells us a lot of stories uh, to prove how uh, grand a heritage uh, the potato actually have. For instance, he tells the story of how uh, the first kind of uh, PR stunt in history was a PR stunt that took place in the Royal Palace in France. The French godfather of the potatoes, the man that introduced the potato to France, uh, staged a PR stunt for potatoes in the castle by creating a grand dinner where only potato was served and Marie Antoinette was wearing potato blossoms in her hair. So he's using all these stories and all the stories are true. Mm -hmm. There's no fake news here um, uh, to uh, uplift the humble potato from the, in his uh, opinion, untrue um, stamp that the potato have gotten as a working class vegetable. And he goes on, of course, to say, and that's why, you know, he has been chosen to uh, be immortalised as contemporary art, and so should he be. I was quickly going to mention about uh, how, although obviously the, he is this megalomaniac potato, uh, and he's making all of these grand claims, which are true, uh, but also it was actually kind of the, the peasants of Europe that, did accept the potato in Europe. So it wasn't just the royal court of King Louis who made the potato widespread. It was the people who, who grew it out of necessity over the sort of 200 years prior to that. So yeah. this, uh, uh, George Edward II has kind of got these slight illusions of grandeur that although he has got this kind of royal lineage, there is also, there are some elements of truth to it, but it, he's definitely uh, kind of brushing over the other details a bit. He's forgetting his roots, as it were. Definitely. <laughs> and yeah, he's just choosing what parts of the narratives to share. And he really wants to share all of the, the grandeur and, you know, the, the hero stories to um, explain why he was immortalised as contemporary art. And let's uh, just look at that a little bit, because obviously he's referencing the edition you made with Sacred Thing, uh, Potato the Great. Um, which obviously we've been talking just now a lot about the research that's gone into the making of that 
work. But I'd also think it'd be really interesting to hear a little bit more about the behind the scenes in terms of the production of of that sculpture edition um, so that, you know, we can get a kind of look in into the artist studio and uh, how that process happens. So can you tell us a, a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it started... It started somewhere in the beginning of 2019, right? You had asked me if I wanted to make an edition, yeah. a sacred thing. And then it took me a really long time to, or I said, yeah, I would love to. And then it took me a really long time to come back with an idea. Mm. And the idea actually came as I was on a train. Trains are really good for just like, you don't have to think about something specific and that's sometimes when the really good ideas come. So I, so I started thinking like a bit about this uh, edition and what it could be. And then I thought about an artwork I'd made previously, which is called a kilo of potatoes. And mm. basically what that artwork is, it's just a kilo of potatoes. I bought a kilo of potatoes and then I I made sculptures, I copied each individual potato in um, unburned clay. So red clay is actually yellow before it gets yeah. burned. So I used this red clay and it has this really beautiful yellow, very potato-ish color. Yeah. So I thought about that sculpture, um, a kilo of potatoes, and I thought, or like I felt like there was something I could use there. Um, and then that's where this image of the man holding the massive cabbage came up. Because I felt like, you know, Holly's asked me to make something big. It's quite a big thing that I'm making the first edition for Sacred Thing. Like, yeah. I can't just make a little thing. It has to be, like, big. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought of this man with the cabbage, the massive cabbage. And then I googled giant vegetable competition and realized that there is actually a category for the biggest potato as well. Yeah. And I watched uh, the vegetable growers from the Harrogate Giants Vegetable Competition as they kind of pose with these massive carrots, <laughs> really big pumpkins and extraordinarily large cabbages. <laughs> And and there was um, and then I was like, yeah, yeah, this is uh, this this is it. And then I think I wrote you straight away on the train, like, so Holly, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think of making a edition of the winner of the Harrogate Giant Vegetable Competition? Because at that point, I thought, you know, we need we need a winner for this. It needs to be great. It needs to be grand. Yeah. And then I was like, do you think you could, do you think that's a good idea? And then luckily, uh, you, you, you actually also thought it was a good idea. Yeah. And then as the year came, and I guess the potatoes were put in the ground, the competitors uh, were uh, growing in their native soil. Um, we kind of came up with a plan of how to do it. So you would go to, oh yeah, you started making contact with uh, the Harrogate Giant Vegetable Competition. And um, and I was researching like, uh, could we make, what material we could use to make it 
and how oh yeah and also something I thought about was like how how do we actually make it look like art you know because mm. this needs to be a, a art work so how do we kind of make it look like it's not just a giant potato and of course and that's that's said with a slight uh, sort of a bit of irony because of course but for me it was really important that it was a thing that kind of signaled in itself that it was an artwork mm. so then this idea these uh, these kind of um, almost cartoon art e blobs of paint on the surface of the potato came up because I felt it was important that it was that it wasn't like a thing that pretended to be a potato but it was that it had another layer of like a potato that had this self-awareness of being an artwork but still remaining its identity of a potato yeah does that make sense <laughs> yeah um because when you look at the art the artwork i mean it's difficult because of when we released your edition obviously with um everything that kicked off at the beginning of this year not many people have been able to see it in real life and Mm -hmm. when you are with the piece it really does look like a massive potato the color that you've achieved and all of the details that came out of the cast is amazing it really mm. does look like a, a big potato but then these like you say cartoonish splashes of paint on it they're really pretty and painterly and it does create this kind of funny uh, object but also mm. also a really pretty artwork and sculpture at the same time and so I think you did achieve that it makes sense yeah it's yeah it's interesting to make it's an interesting challenge to make an object that that kind of uh, oscillates between different identities or like uh, yeah um and then then i think it then came august and you went to to uh, you holly you went to the giant vegetable competition I in Harrogate. Yeah. Can you tell can you tell us a bit about how that was? Yeah. So as as obviously the veg growers were preparing, we were preparing our mission as well that we were going to I was going to go there and I was going to find the winning potato and I was somehow going to find out who grew it. <laughs> um so yeah, I drove there and I did actually have to scam my way in a little bit. So I um said the name of like the top press lady at Harrogate (laughs) and uh they sort of like went to call her and I kind of like snuck through the gate and then I went in there and people are looking at me like who is this girl with like the pink backpack on measuring the vegetables (laughs) with a tape measure (laughs) it's like she she doesn't look like one of the judges I don't know who she is and um (laughs) it was really surreal and I think what I was doing at that time is I was thinking the whole time oh my god Amelia would be loving this like I feel uncomfortable but but her as an artist would have been like oh my god I can't believe I'm in the inner workings here and um (laughs) you know it was it was quite a weird experience and I think during this time I was sending pictures of the potatoes to you Amelia and And I think already like on the way there we'd started to think like perhaps it shouldn't be the winner and like the, the the idea had opened up like who should be our chosen one 
then you sent that picture on WhatsApp of the kind of the playing field. Yeah. And then I instantly saw this potato and I was like, that's the most beautiful potato I've ever seen. Yeah. It's got such a, it's got such a good potato shape, but it's so very big. Yeah. But it's also got really <laughs> sculptural qualities. It's really like morphologic. It yeah. can be so many things. Yeah. And it was like, here we've got our guy. This is our guy. That's yeah. the one. It actually reminds me of a, uh, I think the first time I saw it, I thought it looked like a, um, like a Henry Moore reclining nude. Yeah, yeah. Completely right. Yeah. Yeah. So Holly, what happened when you saw the winner? Did you see, did you see this one before you saw the winner? Well, he, it, this potato was sat next to the winner and the winner was an ugly fucker. Yeah, it was a nasty looking thing. Yeah, he had some he had he had some scabs. He didn't have a great sort of complexion. Yeah, we didn't like it. Yeah, he was like a, it reminded me of like a a rugby player after, yeah. a, after a really rough game. Cauliflower is. <laughs> so yeah, Amelia had already selected which one she wanted, so then I was like, right, I've got to find out who grew this. And uh luckily I was pointed out to Joe quite quickly and um had quite a funny conversation with him trying to get him around to even listening to me because it was like I want to make an artwork out of your potato he's like what is he kept calling me that mad girl he kept going that mad girl wants my is after my potatoes like this (laughs) (laughs) and uh eventually he was like I look I don't know what you're really doing but you can have the potato then a couple of weeks later he kind of called me and said look, I, I really want to do this because obviously I grow potatoes to go into competitions every day, but this is something different, isn't it? Like I've never been involved in something like this. Yeah, I think I called him up Yeah, and then we had like an hour long chat about uh, him and why he grows these giant vegetables. Um, and then he told me about uh, yeah, the different uh, varieties and he also told me like how he grows these potatoes. Um, yeah, so we had a really nice chat about potatoes and he thought I was crazy and I thought he was crazy because <laughs> I guess we both have uh, sort of very specific interests. <laughs> yeah, totally. But you want him over. It's completely I, I won him over, that. it seems, yeah. Great. And he won me over. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Holly, before we go anywhere else, can I just ask what was the vegetable show like? Was it like a, a festival? Was there like a beer tent and a hog roast and stuff like that? It was a bit like um it was a bit like a Chelsea flower show kind of vibe lots of tables laid out with all of the competitors on and then there was in the middle there was a main stage where people were giving talks on various things um so it was a uh, it was a bit geeky it was uh, sounds amazing yeah mm. oh barney you'd love it <laughs> <laughs> can we please go together in 2021 yeah we should we should yeah definitely <laughs> obviously then you've chosen your specimen amelia and then mm. you've got to make this thing into an artwork. So what do you do then? Yeah, and it was it was also this conversation with uh, with Joe that sparked the 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 start of the writing process as well of the video that became Potato the Greatest. And um, yeah, so then we had our 
we had our main character, um, the potato, and you went to pick it up. And then, oh yeah, and then we also uh, decided that the best way we could have it produced without, uh, the first idea was that we would make it from this red clay that turns yellow when it's burnt. But then we had the problem that clay um, loses 10 to 20% of its uh, mass once it's burnt. So the grape, the potato would actually be smaller than, than the original. The original. Mm. And we can't have that. No, no. So, so we had to find an alternative production method. And it turned out that we found uh, Nick Brooks, who is a sculptor in Great Yarmouth in Norfolk. And he, is, uh, he makes um, these resin casts. So he makes uh, silicon molds and then you can make a resin cast. And uh, jasmineite is a mineral and um, acrylic uh, resin and the the good thing about uh, jasmineite is that you can also add pigment to it so we could get exactly the color of the piece that we wanted and we could also make the piece solid to give it this kind of like weight yeah so then we decided to to go down that route and have um, and work with with nick to create these uh, 25 copies and the number 25 it also comes from potatoes are usually sold in 50 kilo bags like if you buy them wholesale and the winning potato was just under two kilos so if you would uh, have a 50 kilo bag and fill it with our potato it would fit 25 so that's why we have 25 Right. Yeah. 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 Right. That's it. And uh, so then we we produced these twenty five cast copies of the second place potato, and uh, you then hand painted them. Yeah, and then I came to uh, stay with you in the country. Yeah. For a couple of um, for for a long weekend. Yeah. It was a fresh early. It was a fresh January week. The sun was shining and you had all those uh, crazy big birds in the garden. The red, what are they called? The red, the red kites. Red kites. That was cool. So I flew in with my, with my suitcase filled of uh, acrylic paints. And it was the first time I felt like, you know, maybe like a real artist. (laughs) Just bringing my paint (laughs) to do, to make this artwork. Uh, yeah, and then I stood there in, in, in your mum dad's uh, back room and painted the potatoes. So each one is painted individually uh, with a kind of palette that goes through the whole series. And it was actually really pleasant. Like sometimes I, this idea of like being an artist that paints, it's always been a bit uh, like something I don't really associate with. But then once you get down to the work of it, and because I had these like really nice uh, casts of potatoes, I really enjoyed the painting process because it becomes really about 
colors like how do you combine structures how do you combine colors how do you create an interesting composition on this shape that is the potato how do you create a balance but how does it still look haphazard you know, like there's all these kind of painterly questions but that that was that was really nice to do well you created an amazing work it, you know we love it it's yeah beautiful I think we created an amazing work with the help of uh, Joe and Nick and also, yeah, maybe this is a good time to like give credit to people because an artwork is never created by one person. So I actually think uh, there's a lot of people that co-created this artwork and that's uh, Joe Atherton who grew it, Nick Brooks who casted it, uh, Ali Hansen, who lent uh, George Edward II his voice splendidly. And then we've got Martin, Martin Leitner, who um, helped us record and edit the sound for the video. And, um, and also an animator that I collaborated with, with that's called David Kranz, who is um, based in Melmo. And then there's you guys, Bonnie and Holly. And I think, yeah, we all made this, uh, helped in the making of this artwork. And I, I also think that's the really nice thing about making works of art, that it's also about working with other people and other people's skills and other people's ideas and conversations with other people's. An artwork most often is not created, you know, like by one maker in isolation. Yeah, and, that, and that's interesting you said because that's also, that's how us three met as well, through yeah. working in, a, in an artist studio together. Doing, yeah, doing the same thing, like working together to produce works and yeah. liaising with other people to help with the, that production too. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. completely right. It takes a certain amount of people to bring these kind of artworks into the world. And then once it's in the world, you're hoping to share it with a whole other group of people. And that, that does bring me on to another theme that I wanted to get your thoughts on and that's accessibility mm -hmm. so accessibility to the arts is something that Barney and I talk about a lot mm -hmm. and it, it comes from two places really firstly from the standpoint of the artists so making sure that there are opportunities out there for artists things like residencies which give them time and space to develop their practice but also opportunities for them to get paid so that they can live and they can pay their rent so that they can keep sharing their art with us and yeah. secondly from the standpoint of the viewer or the audience for that art so making sure people feel confident enough to view it and to enjoy art because there's so much fucking elitist nonsense surrounding the art world some of it true some of it perceived but I think I worry that that that, that people have a fear and that they often don't feel confident enough to engage with art because they worry that they don't know enough about it or they think they need to have a certain knowledge in order to engage with it. And I just mm. wondered if there was what issues surrounding accessibility have you come up against and what 
do you think we need to see more of in the art world to combat these things? I think that was a really good uh, sum up of the the kind of um, the things that we have to uh, overcome. I wish there could be an art for um, an art world where people didn't feel um, like they had to read a very long text and be very uh, well informed and uh, literally like know where the doorbell of this specific gallery is in order to feel like they are welcomed in. Um, yeah, so I think it's difficult to for, for me to talk about this accessibility from like an institutional point of view. Um, but but at least from like an artistic standpoint, that's that's what I try to do. And I, I think you're absolutely right, like the the working conditions for artists is also something important to keep in mind in the idea of the accessibility that in order to get art that is for everyone and uh, that gives a voice to you know, sort of people and potatoes of all classes, mm -hmm. you also need to make the art world accessible as a working field for people from all classes and backgrounds, because that's art making is very often an activity that departs from a subjectivity and then addresses a kind of objectivity that becomes the artwork. But it's crucial that, that we don't just give this stage to people that come from a privileged background and can afford to make art no matter what the working conditions are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's like, that, that sounds like quite a nice kind of note to start wrapping up with, but um, it'd be, yeah, what, do, what are you working on at the moment, Amelia? So right now I'm working on a kitchen sink drama that uh, will be shown in uh, Copenhagen in February, if, if that will be possible. Uh, but it's a, so this is a, it's a duo exhibition together with my friend and colleague, Maria Gondek. And it's kind of like a site specific installation and a kitchen sink drama that takes place in the gallery space Great. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely be uh, looking out for that then, Amelia. Absolutely. Well, listen, I think that's um, a good place to wrap up the convo and um, just big thank you for everything. It's been such a pleasure working with you on this project and um, your edition is incredible. We love it. And um, it's been so nice to talk to you today. Thank you too, Amelia. It's been a very exciting journey and we're yeah, happy to be happy to have worked with you on it. Thank you very much for having me in your podcast. Thank you very much for uh, going into the world of giant vegetable growing and growers with me. And thanks for being great collaboration partners and friends. 
For all the latest, follow our Instagram at sacredthing. Thanks again for listening and have a good Christmas. Christmas.